Renton, Montana has taken a trans kid, and I say that in quotation marks, you have to hear it that way, quotation marks, there's not really any such thing as a trans kid, but that's what it was called. Red Montana has taken a trans kid away from her parents. Red Iowa has put a Satan statue in the state capitol. Actually, they did that at Christmas. Then a a modern day Gideon went in there and smashed it. But here this past week, he was charged with a hate crime, a hate crime against Satan. And Red Oklahoma Senator James Lankford, he introduced a bill this past week to open our border even wider and also send $10 billion to Hamas. What is going on with our red states? You know, it used to be that we'd say the Republicans are always wherever the Democrats were 20 years ago. That's where they are now. Or that's what we used to say. Now I think they have caught up. You know, they have looked at how President Biden was destroying the country. They caught up to the Democrats and they snatched the progressive baton right out of their hands. Now they're leading the way. Unfortunately, they're leading us straight into the ground. This is Luke Taylor. Welcome to a fiery, but mostly peaceful podcast. This podcast gives you the simple truth in a world of complicated facts. Today, I want to share some tips about approaching the news with our critical thinking skills and how to interrogate an idea to make sure that it's true. I'll also tell you about the best movie to come out of Hollywood in the past three years. And if you listen to the end, I'm going to share a couple predictions that I've made that have actually already been panning out. I usually suck at predictions. I did an episode a while back about how bad I am at predictions, but I'll say I've actually been a little more on the ball here lately. So we'll talk about that at the end. But let's talk about our main idea for today, how our red states are failing us. And the Republicans, and I'm recording this on Wednesday. It's it, it, by Tuesday, Republicans had already put up two L's for us this week. Okay. By Tuesday alone, two big fails. One was that they failed to impre- impeach our Department of Homeland Security secretary. His name's Alejandro Mayorkas. They failed to impeach him. Just, you know, it, it came down to like one or two votes. But you know what? That's all the edge that we have as far as we, if I'm speaking as a Republican, that's the, all the edge that they have in the House is like a, a two or three votes. And if you can't get all the Republicans on board with something, it just ain't going to happen. And they tried to impeach Alejandro Mayorkas, and it just didn't happen. The second thing that they failed at was a border bill that this was a this. I'm glad this didn't go through, but it was an embarrassment that they introduced it in the first place. So Republicans saying that they were working with Democrats, but this sounds like it was all Democrats when you look at this thing. It made our border laws, our border restrictions even more vague on as far as who's allowed into the country, what it takes to get into our country, claiming uh, asylum ship, the restrictions that would be on someone to get entry into our country. Well, they wanted to make it even looser, even more vague. They gave the president the option to close the border. It didn't say the president had to close the border. It just gave him the option to close the border, <laughs> which is ridiculous. He has that option right now. He's, he already changed the rules when he got into office Back after Trump left four years or three years ago, he already changed the rules. What is giving him more rules that just say he has more freedom to choose? What is that going to accomplish? So <laughs> that, that, that is it was totally meaningless in that sense. It also wanted to send 60 billion more dollars to Ukraine. It wanted to send 14 billion dollars to Israel and it wanted to send 10 billion dollars 
to Hamas, <laughs> the country that just attacked Israel. It, well, they're not a country, but that little strip of land over there in the Gaza Strip that just launched this attack on Israel in October. And now that those two Middle Eastern uh, places are in a conflict ever since then, America has decided that what we want to do is send $14 billion to Israel, but also $10 billion to the people in the Gaza Strip that they are fighting. Could someone out there give me the innocent reason they would want to do that? Why fund both sides of the war? Okay, give me the reason for that. Is there any innocent reason that you would fund both sides of a conflict? Right? Why not just, if you wanted to give $14 billion to one and $10 billion to another, why not just cancel out what you're going to give to Hamas and just give $4 billion to Israel? <laughs> like, why are you going to send money to both? It is the stupidest thing, and there is no sense. And hey, I'm very warm toward Israel. I would not normally be in opposed to sending Israel money, uh, except as, as much as I think they're in the right on all this, there's no reason that we need to be funding that war. There's, I don't, I, I don't know how much longer, like where do they draw the line on the Ukraine funding? You know, there's no limiting principle to any of this. They just keep sending more and more and more money, but they won't protect our own border. They're worried about Gaza's border. They're worried about Ukraine's border, but why don't any of these politicians care about our own border. So here we are. It was already Tuesday. It was only Tuesday. And they've already failed us twice this week. You'll be hearing this on Friday. So who knows how much worse it's going to get by then. Our red states are failing us. Put not your trust in princes, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. Even princes from a red state. <laughs> Don't put your trust in them because they're, they're not going to get it done. Um, Lord help us. <laughs> because there's no one else down here who's going to. All right, uh, let me give you a critical thinking tip today. You need to be able to interrogate your own ideas. A lot of people just say things because they heard it somewhere and it sounded good to them. They saw a meme about it on Facebook. They don't know where these statistics are coming from, but it looked good to them. So they share it. So they believe it. So they tell their friends about it. And it turns out it's just all baloney, right? A lot of people think like this. A lot of people talk like this. This is what... I, and. Sad to say, a lot of our own beliefs and ideas, they just sounded good to us. We heard someone else say them, but we've never taken the time to stop and kind of work through them mentally, examine the premises, and ask ourselves, why do I believe what I believe? Okay, so that there was a, a great clip that kind of illustrated this, and um, it, it was a, a teacher, I don't, apparently this was a teacher talking to a student on like a Zoom call, and so I want to play this for you. You know, it's a f fascinating little conversation, and I want you to hear the teacher's technique and how he encourages this student. The, the discussion topic in this clip is um, going to be about J.K. Rowling. The, there's this narrative out there that J.K. Rowling is all transphobic and all that um, because she thinks it's ridiculous that, you know, men are being allowed into women's bathrooms and all the, you know, playing against girls and women's sports all that crazy stuff that's happening. And so the, the, that's a narrative that's out there and, and she might agree with it. You know, uh, I don't know if she'd use the word transphobic. You know, the thing is JK Rowling is not some right winger. She is not some kind of conservative. Uh, she's a, she's a famous book author. She's a been in some involved in some Hollywood stuff cause they made it into movies. So I'm sure she, she she's not someone who's going to vote Republican, but the fact that she won't go along with the trans agenda that has made her public enemy number one, and made a lot of Harry Potter fans and people in culture just totally swear off anything that has her name on it now. 
And so this teacher is encouraging the student to kind of think through these things. And, you know, wh- where do you get this idea that she's this transphobic person? So that's what, that's what they're going to discuss. And I'm going to play this clip for you, let you hear the conversation for yourself. And then we will talk about some of the technique that the teacher used. So these guys want to talk about J.K. Rowling? Is that, so what's going on with that? What do you want to know? Uh, she's, she's had a pretty controversial past. I just want to know, like, what are your thoughts on it? Like, do you still like her work despite her uh, bigoted opinions? So let's get specific, though. Let's define bigoted opinions. What opinions are bigoted? We're going to treat this as a thought experiment. I'm not going to say yeah. what's right or wrong or what way to think. The whole point is to learn how to think, not what to think. Yeah. yeah. So when you say bigot, you, you're you're starting with the conclusion that, given her bigoted opinions. Yeah. So first, her, uh, let's start with: Does she have bigoted opinions? So when you when you say bigoted opinions, she has had a history of being extremely transphobic. I've heard. And you've heard. So what? Can you give me an example? Uh... If you look at her Twitter, I think um, you could see a few things. Um, if you want, I could try and find yeah, see something. If you can find, see if you can find one. So, one of these tweets that she came up with in 2019, she said, Dress however you please, call yourself whatever you like, sleep with any consenting adult who will have you um, live your best life in peace and security, but force women out of their jobs for starting that for stating that sex is real. So you find that bigoted? What do you find about it was in there? It was deemed transphobic. Like, I myself... Do you find that transphobic yourself? Uh, I don't really have an opinion on it, but I'm just going with what a lot of other people have said. So let's pause it. Let's not go with what other people are saying. Let's try and learn how to critically think. So let's analyze the tweet ourselves. So that statement... Do you see anything problematic disregarding other people's opinions? Um, she did try and pin some things on a, spe- a specific group of per- of people. Where does, she, where does she do that? Do that? Can you read that? But force women out of their jobs for stating that sex is real. So when I hear that, I'm interpreting that as meaning... If a woman says that, you know, saying that there's a difference between men and female and then being attacked as transphobic, I think that's what she's saying by attacking someone for stating that sex is real. That is exactly what she's saying. Is that transphobic to you? So, to me, no. Stating that sex is real is not transphobic. It's just a fact of life. It exists. So is there anything you disagree with in that tweet? Uh... In that tweet, I can't really see anything that I myself disagree with, but I can see why some people would think, oh, this is offensive. We can't have that here or something, because... Sure. Uh, there's an apology tweet. Um, she, let's read that. What did she say there? I haven't read that. I respect every trans person's right to live any way that feels authentic and comfortable to them, I'd march with you if you were discriminated against on the basis of being trans. At the same time, my life has been shaped by being female. I do not believe it is hateful to say so. Um, you see anything problematic there? She's apologizing, so 
No, not really. Um, if I if I could read it again, it sounds like a, the same, a very similar statement as what she was just saying. She's basically saying like, I have nothing. To me, this is what I interpret as I have nothing against someone being trans. Exactly. Your life, but you just don't get to impose on my. You can live how you want. I can live how I want. Yeah. And let's all you know. Exactly. So I guess now, so now that we're looking at it like, oh, there's not much difference between me or her. Do you, how? Why do you? Do you think it's fair that there's a that she's being attacked by a large group of people and people are calling her? Like you said at the beginning of this conversation, you said, given the fact that J.K. Rowling is transphobic, how do you feel about Harry Potter? Now, yeah. retroactively looking at that statement, do you think that that was the best way to phrase? No, I feel like an idiot now. <laughs> it's okay though, but this is why we do this to learn to yeah. learn how to think. So let's learn how to think right along with them. I love that little conversation right there. Um, brilliant teacher. I don't know who he is or anything like that, but just the way he talked through things. Look, here's the thing. I don't know what the teacher believes. I don't, maybe he thought she's transphobic too for some other reason. Maybe you know, whatever he thinks. That doesn't matter. That's not a factor right now. What we're doing is critically analyzing the statements that the student was making. And the student could not defend the things that he was saying. So that teacher, I don't know if he's conservative. I don't know if he's liberal. Don't know if he's from, I guess he's probably from America from his accent, but I don't know where he's from. You know, I don't, I don't know anything except he was just taking this idea and they were just like, let's, let's dissect this. Let's look at the premises that my statement is based on. Most people don't do that with what they say. They don't, much less, they don't do it with what they think. So we're going to do that with what we say and think today. So here's, here's how you analyze an idea. Okay. And I'm going to, I'm going to take a two-step process from a book called Tactics. It's a book by Greg Kokel. And this is a book, the subtitle is A Game Plan for Discussing Your Christian Convictions. So this book is geared towards Christians and how they might engage with someone who's, I don't know, an atheist, or well, really how you can engage with any idea that's out there. That's what I, the value of this book. It's not just a book about being an apologist for Christianity. This is a book about how you analyze ideas and think through things. And so he has a, a technique called Columbo. Columbo is based on a TV show from the 70s. It actually ran for a few decades, but I think it like started in the 70s. It's about a detective, and he's just kind of seemed, he looked kind of goofy. He looked kind of non-threatening, but he just kind of walk, you know, waltz around a room and look look at the clues at a crime scene. And just when he's about to walk away, he'd turn and he'd be like, hey, one more thing. And then he'd ask the person, like, he'd start, he'd start digging in a little bit. He just asked simple questions. That was the idea. Columbo just has very simple, very basic, non-threatening, you know, just kind of like, he's like, hey, I just noticed something about that. I just want to ask you about one detail, one word you said, you know, just ask a little thing. And, but it was always that like one thread that if you pulled it, the whole story that someone was telling you would just unravel. And so that's the Columbo technique. Now you can do this with a lot of other ideas too. Someone says uh, JK Rowling is transphobic. Okay. What, is, what do you mean by that word transphobic? What's the definition of transphobic? You know, you just kind of like hone in on something and just ask. So step one of the Columbo tactic is just ask for information. That's all you do is you ask for information. Okay. And you can do that with any idea. You know, someone says that they believe in evolution. First thing I'd like to say is, you know, de define evolution. Define science. You know, what, what do you have in mind whenever you use these words? Uh... That's what I do in in modern times. Someone wants to talk about MAGA. Okay, well, Democrats have one thing that they mean when they talk about MAGA. 
Republicans have a different idea when they talk about MAGA. Um, so, you know, the, obviously the the shorthand for someone who's a follower of President Trump, or or it could mean something to a Democrat. They might say, "Oh, MAGA Republicans believe this and that," and then they'll just say basic Republican ideas. So they're they're calling it MAGA Republicanism, but then they'll ju- it's just basic conservative principles. So everyone can have a different meaning for this phrase MAGA. So when someone uses that, when they drop that into a conversation. I want to be like, hey, hold up a minute. Let's talk about what that means. Um, someone says, do you take the Bible literally? Well, what do you mean by the word literally? You know, what, is that, what does that mean? Someone says, uh, abortion's okay because a fetus is not a human, or a fetus is not a person. Well, what do you mean not a human? You know, if, it, if, if a fetus is not a human, what is it? Then? You know, what's, what species? Human is a species. If you're a human being, what species is a fetus? You know, so people say these things, they say these words, but they don't, they don't really think about what they mean by them. So it's really easy to pick these things apart. So what you need to do if you're in a debate with someone is the Columbo tactic. Step one is gathering information. Before I get to step two, let me just say this. I mean, don't just do this with, in conversation with someone else or debate with someone else. Do this for yourself. T- take your own ideas. Don't say something until you've already pre-interrogated it and know exactly what you believe about it, and are willing and ready to answer questions about it. Okay, that's that's actually, you know, I mentioned apologetics a minute ago. We look at 1 Peter 3.15. If you want to be an apologist for Christianity, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have within you. So if you're a, if you believe something, if you really believe it with all your heart, you should always be ready to throw down about it, okay, to, to defend it. And how do you how do you always be ready? Well, take everything that you believe and run it through this filter. What do I mean when I say this word? What does this mean to me? Don't just say words and not really think about what they mean. We do that too easily. Interrogate your own ideas first. Okay, before you go after someone else's, make sure you can do this. Make sure you can handle the scrutiny. So interrogate your own ideas. What do I believe? Why do I believe it? When I use this word instead of that word, why am I using this word? What do I mean by this word? Be ready to answer those questions. So I do this a lot. If I, 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 It doesn't even have to necessarily be in debate, but someone says something. I'm like, what do you mean by that? You know, I would just like more information. I want to make sure I understand you. You know, we might actually agree. And I just want to make sure, you know, maybe I just have different vocabulary and all we're arguing about is labels. You don't really need to have a debate then. You know, sometimes we just have different words that mean... You know, I use a word for one thing and you use a different word, but we really both mean the same thing. But talk about it. Okay. So I love asking for more information. If you're talking to someone who doesn't want to defend their views and they haven't really thought through what they're saying and they're just blurting stuff out, they haven't really thought it through, or they're just repeating something they heard someone else say, and you ask them a simple question like, what do you mean by that? They get flustered. If they if they haven't really thought it through, if they don't know how to defend their own words. They get flustered. They get upset with you. <laughs> they start trying to, to, to fight back. So listen, um, th- and if they want to turn the tables, they want to ask you what you mean by your words. Be ready to give an answer. Okay, so that's step one, gathering information, but also apply this to yourself. Interrogate your own ideas first so that you are ready. Okay, and then the second step in the Columbo tactic, step two, is reversing the burden of proof. Okay. So that means when someone has made a claim, anytime somebody makes a claim, then they need to be ready to defend that claim. Okay, so from like, again, from the Christian perspective, someone says definitively there is no God, 
That's what an atheist would say, that there is no God. That is a claim. So they need to be ready to defend that claim. You know, and then often atheists will try to get out of having to do that, and they try to just go into this more squishy agnosticism thing. They don't really want to actually defend the claim that there is no God. They try to put the burden of proof on you. But if they make the claim, they need to be ready to defend it. So that's what it means to reverse the, the burden of proof, okay? You, you basically say this. How did you come to that conclusion? Anytime they make a, a claim, when they say something, just ask them, Where, where'd you get your facts? Nobody should be threatened by that if they've actually thought through their own ideas, okay? If, if, they're, if they've actually done the work and mentally processed these things before they blurt them out, they're ready to talk about it. <laughs> they're not going to have a problem giving their sources. But you find that a lot of people just say stuff and they have no way to back it up. They don't have any sources. <laughs> they're not ready to defend it. So then they get mad at you and they call you names. So listen, just ask them that step one. What do you mean by that? Step two, how did you arrive at that conclusion? Okay, that is the Columbo tactic. You're just asking for more information. You're just asking them to prove what they are saying. Most people can't do that. But again, I say this one more time. Do it to yourself first. Okay, before you go out there debating people, do it to yourself first. Ask, why do I believe this thing that I say I believe? And what am I basing it on? What's the premise? If someone asks to see my sources, do I remember my sources? I hope it's not some meme that your grandma shared on Facebook and you're just reposting it or you're believing it because she said it. She's only reposting it because she saw someone else say it. That's not good enough, guys. Okay, lots of misinformation gets around that way. Misinformation is another one of those words. It's like, what do you mean by that? Because <laughs> that, that was a, a couple years ago, that was a whole big thing. They try to take your social media post down for misinformation, disinformation. These are words you got to be ready to define. Okay. I'm just going to say misinformation is information that's not true. A lot of it gets around social media. Yeah, it propagates it. I, I'm not saying people shouldn't have freedom of speech. They should have the freedom to, the right to do it. But it is very easy to, sh to spread half-truths on social media. A lie can get around the world before the truth can get its pants on. So we see this stuff when people just repeating things. When it comes to um, Trump being racist, you heard this all the time when Trump was president, when he was running for president. You hear it now about how supposedly Trump is this racist meanie Okay, when someone says that, ask them, why do you think Trump is racist? This is Columbo right here. Why do you think that? When you say he's racist, what do you mean by that? What is racist? Okay, and then they got to give a definition for racism. Some people will just call you racist. They don't even know what they mean by that phrase. So you ask them, define what, and they, that, racism actually has a literal definition. So they have to get that right. Okay, it's whenever you have a, an animus against another person on the basis of their race, a prejudice against them. All right? That's racism. So they say, oh, well, he wants to build a wall on Mexico's border. Well, that's not racist. That's, that's, that's about the self-defense of your country. A wall is not an offensive weapon. <laughs> it's not hurting anybody. So that's not racist. If they want to say that's racist, they need to explain why. But you can't do that because it's not. So... When people would say Trump is racist, that's just something they would say. All you got to do is ask. Just ask for more information. You can pick it apart. Okay? When people say the 2024 election was stolen, 
you know, this is what Trump was claiming afterwards, and he went to court over it. Those cases basically all got thrown out. All right. And I know people keep telling me, oh, it's coming. You know, the Kraken's going to be unleashed one of these days. <laughs> one of these days, the truth's going to come out, and yet it never does. Okay. So people tell me that the 2024 election was stolen. Well, okay. Um, it, on what basis do you think that? Give me the facts. Because when I, every time I ask this question, I hear outlandish claims that have been refuted again and again. I hear that there were more votes cast in 2020 than there were registered voters. I've heard that a bunch of times, including from President Trump on his own, if it is on Twitter or True Social, I can't remember, but he posted that. This claim that there were like 50, 40,000, 50,000 more votes cast in the election, or sorry, not thousand million. He said there was like 220 million votes cast in the 2020 election, but only 157 million registered voters. It was, some, it was something like that. Tens of millions of people more voted than there were registered voters. That's the claim. It's easily refutable. And yet this just gets repeated and people don't go back and check the facts. So people say the 2024 election was stolen. You can say it. I'm not... I'm not even opposed to, to believing it. I would totally believe the Democrats would steal it. So I don't, it's just, I don't, I just haven't seen the proof yet. People say, oh, it's because Trump said it. Well, Trump said that Iowa was stolen in 2016. He said Iowa was stolen because Ted Cruz won that state and he claimed it was rigged. That was what he said afterward. It was rigged against him. When he didn't get an Emmy for The Apprentice, he said the, the whole thing was rigged. Okay, so this is just something Trump says every time he loses. If you want to think it was stolen, that's fine. Okay, I'm not against that, but it shouldn't be. be it shouldn't be based on what Trump told you, because this is a this is a frequent lie that he goes to, whenever he's a sore loser about something. So you need better proof than Trump's word, if you want to claim it was stolen. And by the way, I watched Columbo a few years ago after I read this book. I was like, oh, let me pull up what this show is all about. I think Amazon Prime had some episodes of it, and it was kind of neat. It, you know, it put me on a 70s kick for a while. I started watching some 70s movies for a bit, like Convoy. And, uh, but, but, you know, um, I, I lost interest in Columbo after three or four episodes because they, I like on a murder mystery or something, I like it when they, they make it a mystery. But in Columbo, they, they always reveal the killer in like the first 20 minutes. And then, they like reveal the killer and then they go through the title sequence and then Columbo has to catch him. Well, you already know what they did and how they did it. There's no mystery to it. It's just, it's just more of a cat and mouse game watching Columbo, Columbo to figure it out. So they, they were, they were good. They were interesting, but it wasn't something that kept my attention long-term. Cause I got, I got tired of like the lack of suspense because <laughs> you, because you were, because you always knew right from the start who did it. So um, actually let's merge, let's merge right into our movie review section. Cause I, I told you I was going to try to do some movie reviews regularly, and um, I got one for you today. I'm usually down on modern movies uh, and, and TV shows, just modern stuff that comes out. You know, there's just nothing good on TV anymore. Uh, I only ever want to watch, like, old stuff. Um, I lo Let me look at my top 15 movies. I have a list. My top 10, 15 favorite movies of all time. Let me see. There's 2010, 2014. Yeah, in my top 15 favorite movies, the most recent one is 2014. And so I just feel like cinema in general, it had some high points. I love 2007. I love 2010. I love 2013, 14. That was a, those were great eras for movies. 
it's really been kind of declining ever since. So that's that's basically that's my that's where I'm at. Uh, Marvel hung on there for a few more years, but Hollywood is just in shambles, guys. I'm just and and you turn on modern TV shows and there's just like nothing good anymore. It's so depressing. All the great stuff is for television had that golden age around 2010. That was like the high point. And it's just been a decline ever since. And so it's like there's nothing good anymore. The the Academy Award nominations were announced this week. Movies like um, Barbie and Oppenheimer were on there. Okay, listen, just about everything on the list is crap. I haven't seen almost all of it, but I can just tell you, <laughs> it's just it's stuff that probably wouldn't have been nominated 10 years ago. Everything, everywhere, all at once. That was, did that win? That was like nominated a couple of years ago. And that was last year, I believe. I think it won. And um, I tell you why, that that movie, it was it was okay, but it was not something that would have been even in the top 10 if it came out a decade ago. So movies have just fallen really far. And you know it's a crap year whenever Barbie gets nominated for an Academy Award. I mean, and I haven't seen Barbie again, but you, that's how you know it's a, it's a weak year, okay? When something like that gets nominated. So uh, I did a movie review episode last summer. I talked about Mission Impossible 7 and Oppenheimer, Guardians of the Galaxy, the new one. That, and those movies were good. They weren't great. Um, the only new movie that I saw last summer that I really liked, that I was really impressed with, was called Nefarious. I'm not going to redo that whole review, but like out of the whole year, out of all the new movies I saw, Nefarious was the only one that I that I was super impressed by. Nefarious is like a Christian horror movie. And it's about demon possession. This was an independent film. It's not made by traditional Hollywood. But it had the most insightful, like intriguing script that I've heard in years. It had phenomenal acting. It, it was grade A acting in that movie. Um, st- stuff, stuff I saw that I'd never seen before. Uh, best Christian movie I've ever seen, period. Best new movie that I've seen in years. So I give highest praise to Nefarious. If you have not seen that, you can go back and hear that review or or go rent it or something. It's it's great. Anyway, finally, Hollywood has finally put out something that, in my opinion, actually does rise to the level of Nefarious and rises to that level of cinema quality that we saw 10 years ago. Finally, after all this time. So I haven't got to it yet, have I? <laughs> you know, when I watched Oppenheimer last year, I watched Oppenheimer. I was like, that was that was okay. It was not nearly one of my, it's not top five Christopher Nolan. It's not something I ever have a desire to see again. I could go the rest of my life. I have no desire to sit through three hours of Oppenheimer again. That's how I feel a lot of times after watching modern films. I'm like, I never need to see it again. As soon as it's over, I can, I'm ready to forget about it. Okay. Until finally, Hollywood did put out something that I not only greatly enjoyed, I was totally immersed in this movie. And I, not only that, I can't wait to rewatch it again sometime. It's called Killers of the Flower Moon. You know, you got you got nice color skin. What color would you say that is? My color. Oh, Sage. They have the worst land possible. But they outsmarted everybody. The land had oil on it. Black gold. Money flows freely here now. I do love that money, sir. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a uh, Martin Scorsese movie. Uh, It stars 
Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, and it has this newer actress. Her name's Lily Gladstone. Uh, this is a true story. It's set in early 1900s Oklahoma. It's set on a Native American reservation. It's not too far from where I live, actually. Like, I live in Missouri. This is like a, an hour or two drive from me. And this is a story of American history. It's a story of Native American tragedy. And most, ho most horrifying of all, it is a true story. This wealth should come to us. Their time is over. It's just gonna be another tragedy. When this money started coming, we should have known it came with something else. They're like buzzards circling our people. We're still warriors. I ought to kill these white men who killed my family. I need you here. I am right here. You've got to take back control of your home. I was uh, sent down from Washington, D.C. to see about these murders. See what about them? See who's doing it. So I'll give you a few points of interest on this movie. Uh, one, this is part of my favorite genre. This is a crime story. I love crime stories of anything. This is a, this is a period piece crime story. I'll read the synopsis from Google. Real love crosses paths with unspeakable betrayal as Molly Burkhart, a member of the Osage Nation tries to save her community from a spree of murders fueled by oil and greed. So basically what the story is about, there's these Osage Indians and they get relocated by the U.S. government to this land in Oklahoma. And then they strike oil on the land and all these Native Americans, start, they suddenly become very wealthy. And then uh, there's these white people who they scheme to get that money out of them. And they do this by strategically like murdering certain natives. And they do this so that like the money keeps getting reshuffled around to other people. And eventually it comes to the, into the hands of these white guys. And I, I know this kind of sounds like some woke thing, you know, where like the white people are the villains. I know it sounds like that. <laughs> and, that and maybe that's why the movie got green lighted. Okay. I'll admit like, maybe that's part of what got this movie made in modern times, but I will say it's a true story. Okay. And this is not a preachy movie saying all white people are bad and all Native Americans are good. I, this is just given a really honest depiction of a true story that happened in American history. There's bad Native Americans in this. There's good white people in this too. So yeah, maybe it can feel a little woke in that sense, but it's not, it's not annoying or preachy about it. And um, it should go without saying too, the acting is spot on in this film because you got Leonardo DiCaprio there, you know, and he plays what's usually the main character in the movie. Uh, he's playing someone named Ernest Burkhart, kind of a kind of a moron. Um, a lot of the humor in the movie just comes from how <laughs> how how dopey he is a lot of the time. Um, but he's a guy who's got still kind of got a big heart about him. So it's um, uh, he kind of, you know, do, here's the thing with Leonardo DiCaprio. He's known for playing these like charismatic, you know, pretty boy Hollywood roles. And th this is like his least glamorous role of all time. And Robert De Niro's in it, too. He, this is one of the most unsettling roles of his life. I don't want to, I don't want to give too much away about him because it would spoil things, but he's, um, captivating on screen. 
And it's my favorite Robert De Niro role since Meet the Parents. Like that, it's it's an incredible acting performance from him. And then there's this newcomer named Lily Gladstone, and she plays Leonardo DiCaprio's wife. Her name is Molly. It's really her story more than anything to me. And uh, and she is she when she's on screen. Usually when Leonardo DiCaprio is on a screen, you're watching what he does. When she comes on the screen, suddenly you're watching what she's doing. I mean, this is a this she's a does an excellent job on a very doesn't have a whole lot of dialogue compared to the other characters, but yet she's captivating in her performance. So, and then the best thing about this movie is Martin Scorsese. He's the director and he's 81 years old. Okay. This is an 81 year old man. Normally people who are 81 years old, you know, they are retirement age. Okay. They are, (laughs) they're not in a home somewhere. They're just kind of slowing down in life. Right. Or they're running for president. Martin Scorsese is 81 years old. He is directing beautiful movies to this day. He is directing beautiful films that are doing things that I've just never even seen in a movie before. He's 81 years old and he has the creative spirit of a kid who like just got out of film school. He so I'm I'm just my hat's off to him. He's a this guy is a treasure. He's one of the greatest directors in Hollywood history. I think anybody would admit that. I don't even like all of his movies. Um, a lot of his films are a bit profane and brutal, not the kind of thing I like to watch. Um, you know, I'm never going to watch Wolf of Wall Street. But then he turns around, and he makes heartwarming movies like Hugo. It's a delightful kids film. Uh, he made Silence in 2016. That was a movie about the Japanese persecution of Catholics in the 1600s. That movie was very thought provoking. Um, I mean, they've been, you know, as a Christian, when you watch that movie, it makes you ask yourself questions. You know, what would I do for God? What would I do in my faith? It makes you ask some fascinating questions about your own faith walk. And so, I mean, he's he's got um, a really interesting filmography. And this is, even at 81 years old, he is still knocking it out of the park. This is probably my favorite thing he's ever done. The, there's some murders in this movie. It's not it's not a hard R, you know, like, like some of his other films. This is a pretty soft R-rated movie as far as the con- as far as content wise but man so there's some horrifying things that are done to the native americans in this story and again it it was stuff that happened in real life and he he makes you sit through it you know some of these terrible things that were done um he in in a lesser movie someone gets shot someone gets stabbed someone gets you know knocked in the face with something and the camera cuts away and you see like you see someone do a reaction shot and they're like ooh you know yeah, that's that's what a lot of directors do. That's what the PG-13 directors do. And this movie is making you see, like, this is what people went through. This is what they suffered through. So it's given an honest depiction right there. You know, that someone gets smacked in the face and the camera doesn't cut away. You know, it makes you just sit. It makes you sit with it and be like, this is what these poor people had to endure. And so this, this it's a very powerful film. It is four hours long. I'll tell you that. I had to watch this over four nights. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I watched it like an hour at a time. Okay. This is a long movie. They probably could have made it shorter, but you know what? I, it never felt like it was dragging for me. It like, I just always, maybe if I sat through it all in one sitting, it might've felt like a little bit much, but, um, every time I sat down to watch some more of it, like I was here for it. So, uh, you, it, this probably should have been a mini series. Cause here's the thing. I, I would recommend watching it over multiple nights. Like, the first part's kind of a love story, get getting the setting the scene, and the second part is about the crimes, 
And the third part's when the FBI shows up and starts investigating. And there's the fourth part that kind of gets into a legal thing and the court cases that... And anyway, it kind of divides up. It should have been a miniseries, but they made a four-hour movie. So whatever. But I will say this. If you can make it to the last 15 minutes of the movie, the end of this film does something that I have never seen a movie do before. Okay? I'm not going to spoil it. I'm just telling you, if you can make it to the end, like, that you'll be rewarded for it. There's something pretty pretty cool at the end there. This movie's available for free. If you're an Apple TV, Apple Plus, whatever it's called, if you're one of the subscribers, it's available on there. Oh, and, and besides the acting, I'll just say, on a technical side, I mean, the cinematography, the music, it's all top-notch. You know, there's shots of the Oklahoma countryside and livestock, things I've never seen depicted in a movie before. So it even looks amazing. It's been a while since I saw something come out of stupid Hollywood <laughs> that actually knocked my socks off, but I, I give highest recommendations to, to this one, okay? It's four hours long. I would sit down and watch it again right now. Like, and if you're someone who's just like found yourself disappointed with movie after movie here lately, give Killers of the Flower Moon a shot. It's worth it. If you haven't seen Nefarious, give that a shot too. And uh, that reminds me of something. I did a movie review a few weeks ago and I talked about boy movies versus girl movies. And my and I talked about, I say this, I make this comment to my wife sometimes. She wanted me to make it clear she does not watch girl movies. Okay, just so we, she's not watching Barbie either. I'll just put that out there. Um, I think that was when I was talking about Dr. Strangelove. So I, I referred to it as a boy movie. Killers of the Flower Moon, I think it's an anybody movie. It's just a great, great drama all around. Okay, we're going to pause here for a message from our president. And I'm not going to do the whole music thing this time. Uh, this one's actually just very sad. You know, this is just path pathetic right here. So I'll just set the stage here. Because our president is so weak on foreign policy, you know, Iran, it's been nipping at some of our bases over in the Middle East. They just hit one here recently and killed three service members. President Biden called one of the families. Once again, repeats this lie that he likes to tell, that his son was killed in Iraq and tells it to this grieving family. I'll just play it for you here. President Biden calling Oneida and Sean Sanders, whose 24-year-old daughter Kennedy was killed in the attack. I know, uh, you know, everybody, uh, I, I know there's nothing anybody can say or do to excuse the pain. I've been there. Yes, sir, we understand. The parents overcome with emotion when the president reveals how their daughter will be honored. We're promoting her posthumously to sergeant. Oh, wow. That is the best news I've heard today. Thank you so much. You don't know how much that means to us. Oh, well, I tell you what, it means a lot to, a lot to me. Uh, my son spent a year in Iraq. That's how I lost him. And, uh, I, uh, you know, 1%, 1% of all these kids are the ones that uh, take care of 99% of us. So, Heart goes out to that family. Um, I'm not trying to trying to dwell on their emotion and all that they're going through right here, but I just got to say, I'm just sick. And I say, I've said it before, but if you haven't heard it before, President Biden's son died of brain cancer back when he was vice president. I think it was when it was. It was long after his son returned from Iraq. Okay. Biden keeps repeating this lie that his son was killed in Iraq. You just heard him say it to those people. Like he was killed in the line of duty. And nobody in the media calls him out for this. They don't ask him about it. 
Okay, and I guess he tells the lie so much they just think there's no point to calling him out on it anymore. But guys, he keeps saying it. He keeps repeating it. <laughs> so it's like, if I just start ignoring it, then there's really no one calling it out anymore. So listen, I I, I just got to call it out again. It's just tragically sad what happened to this family. It's sad that the president had to make it about himself because he can't talk about anyone else for 60 seconds straight. He had to make it about himself and he had to repeat the lie again. It's just disgusting all around. Okay, well, let's get this. Let's get this episode round wrapped up. If you have any hate mail for me today, you can send it to fierybutpeaceful at gmail.com. I had said I wanted to do a Trump episode. Um, I'm going to wait just on that a bit longer. The idea of should I should I vote for Trump? Should we vote for Trump? I'll weigh in with my opinion on it. I've talked about Trump too much in the past few months, so I wanted to talk about some some other things this week. So, uh, and he still made a few. He still had, he got name dropped a few times anyway in this, but. I think I just want to, I'm working through this myself and I want to share that where my thought process is the pros and cons of voting for Trump in 2024. So that's going to be next time. And I'll also mention I'm planning to release episodes like every other week this year, um, just just because that kind of works with my flow of where I'm at in life. So so that's that's my release schedule is trying to do every other week and I'll try to do it at least that much and and more if possible. I want to give a podcast recommendation, another podcast worth listening to. And uh, this week, I want to give that to Steve Deese. And actually, I think it's pronounced Dace, <laughs> Steve, but it looks like Deese. Steve Dace works for The Blaze. He and a couple other guys have a podcast called The Steve Dace Show. And it has, I- I've been listening here for the past few weeks. And I just think he's got, he's got incredible, um, spot on accurate analysis of politics. So Steve Dace is kind of interesting. He is a he is a genius when it comes to everything entertainment related, everything sports related. So music, movies, television shows, different sports. I mean, he can just talk about anything and politics. That's his main focus. But he can talk about anything and he can talk about it all day long. So he has like an hour and a half show that runs Monday through Friday. And um, it's called The Steve Dace Show. I recommend checking it out. What I appreciate about it the most is his analysis of the spiritual state of America. That's what he has his finger on the pulse of more than anything. And that's what I find myself most interested in following is this not just not just the culture, not just the political machinations that are out there. But what does it say about us spiritually as a as a country? And, and it's a, you know, small world. Steve Dace is also one of the the people behind that nefarious movie that I mentioned earlier, he's one of the people who like produced it or was involved in it. And so, um, that a lot of that came from, from his mind too, I, I think. So Steve Day's show, another podcast worth listening to. All right, let's go beyond the headline before we close down for today. I just want to dig into one news story before we go. And, um, James O'Keefe, he's formerly of project Veritas and now he's doing his own thing on independently, but he he put on a pair of glasses as a disguise, and he went on a on a gay date with a gay White House staffer. James O'Keefe is not gay; he just put on this disguise and recorded a conversation with a White House staffer, and he found out some inside information. Okay, the tweet was billed this way. Let me find the tweet. Breaking video: Top White House cyber official tells O'Keefe in disguise. They can't say it publicly. The White House wants to replace Kamala Harris and confirms 
President Joe Biden mental decline. Okay, that I guess I've already given away now what's going to play in this video, but I'll let you hear it for yourself. And so here, here you go. So you're you're pretty high up in the government. Yeah, I'm fairly high up. I'm good at keeping secrets, and so I manage two federal agencies: mm-hmm. the State Department and USAID. So when you say sec- it's like security, like you're protecting the networks of the federal agencies, you, pro- you give all your information to. The mission is to protect information. And we serve, we are like the president's voice when we go into meetings in terms of discussing and and promoting the president's priorities. Is he going to be the the nominee? Yes. And she will be the vice president nominee. Yeah, I don't... There was a debate about removing her from the ticket, but... Sadly, they did. She can't keep black staff. They quit on her in mass. But with him, I yeah, mean, I know. I know. he's got I know. dementia. Um, yeah, well, he's definitely slowing down. Well, they know that he has those issues. I think so. But they're not willing the to say it. Shows it. And, they're not and willing to say correct. it publicly. And same thing but with Kamala Harris. Is she's not popular, but you can't remove the first black lady to be vice president from the presidential ticket. Like, I what see. kind of message are you going to send to, like, an African-American voter? How would you spin that? People would be like, what the f***? Like, like, she's a woman, and she's multiracial. I think I think that they're really concerned about this. But they won't say it. Well, I guess if they say it publicly, Correct. Biden they is, publicly. is, uh, no, no. they can't say it publicly. No, no, they've got to they got to they say it line. privately? I mean, I'm just, I'm just telling just, you what I've heard. Like, just, yep. You're just telling me the truth. Does it make sense? No, but that's, I mean, that's what I've heard. <laughs> I've had a meeting with Michelle Obama at one point when I was an intern, and someone asked her, will you ever run for office? And she said no, emphatically. Really? I've seen all the shit my husband has had to go through, and that does not interest me. So let's go beyond the headline. My my opinion on this 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 inside information is actually outside information. All right, I love James O'Keefe, but this the, he gives some great scoops. This is like the least surprising scoop of all time. So so here's some of the information that he found out. All right, so guys, we already know that Biden is old and senile. All right, we already know that. We already know that they know that Biden is old and senile. That's why they can't talk about it, all right? That's why they can't point to examples of how on the ball he is. That That's why they are very uncomfortable with this subject. That's why they don't want him to go get a cognitive exam, even though they were complaining for years that Trump wasn't taking one. But they want to know, they don't want Biden to take one because they know, and we know that they know, that Biden is old and senile. And they know that we know that they know that Biden is old and senile. So none of this is surprising so far. All right. Also, from this clip, we learn that they know that Kamala Harris is widely unpopular. And that's why they can't just push Biden on out into the retirement home and let Kamala take the stand. We already know why. It's because people surprisingly like her even less than President Biden. I say surprisingly because um, it's hard to imagine anyone more unpopular than President Biden. He at least kind of act kind of kind and grandfatherly, even though he is totally psychotic in his morality. But he can at least play the part of a kind old man. Kamala Harris can't even (laughs) be likable. She has the weird, awkward laugh and can't stop doing the laugh. 
and um, doesn't have that gentle demeanor about her at all, comes across as more sinister. And so they shot themselves in the foot by picking her in the first place. But it has made pretty good job security for old Joe. So maybe that's why he did it. <laughs> because they, they are not pushing him out to put her in. Even though as much as that would make their lives easier in some ways, it's just that she's not, she doesn't have the goods. So she's not going to get the job done for him. So there, this is, confirms what I've been saying all along. They are stuck with Biden and Harris. All right. You keep hearing this conspiracy theory. They say, oh, they're going to swap out Biden with Michelle Obama. Guys, there's no way for them to do that. All right. Everyone that I ask about this conspiracy theory has no answer. I have these Twitter interactions constantly. People don't have any way to explain themselves on this. People say it in real life. I'm like, how would they do that? How could they do it? Like, what's the realistic scenario in which in which they push Biden out and put Michelle Obama in? Because guess what? They already have a black woman to, to replace Biden if you would have to bow out for some reason. They already have a black woman for that. It's Kamala Harris. And as I covered, they can't put her on the ticket at the top. So how do they get her out of the way if they need to remove Biden? They can't. So they're stuck with him. And he's old and he's senile. And their only play is to just pretend that he's not. They can't do anything else. All right. They, they can't unless they just decide to go with Kamala Harris. But they don't have a play where they can slip Michelle Obama in. All right. I, if you have a, if you disagree with that, if you think it's a realistic possibility, email me explain it because <laughs> there's no explanation i've heard anyone i can't even i don't even hear anyone try they're like oh they'll do it at the convention how how do they do that well biden's going to say he's sick and can't run again then how does he stay in until january how, what kind of sickness is it to where you can't run for president and be president for four more years but there's no problem with you staying in for six months what kind of sickness does that there's no scenario. There's no excuse they can give for why he'd have to step out of the race and step away from a re-election campaign. They have no excuse. <laughs> They're stuck with him. All right. If we had someone better to run against him, it would be a little bit more exciting. But but that's that's what they're stuck with. That's what they consigned themselves to when they decided to all gang up and push Biden through and put uh, Kamala on the ticket with him four years ago. This is what they got for themselves. So they made their bed. They can sleep in it. So far, my prediction on this, that they're stuck with Biden, that has proven right. I, I think he could come up with a legitimate health issue, but Michelle Obama is not the replacement. Kamala Harris is. That's how it works, guys. That's what it, being a vice president means. All right. <laughs> and one more thing that this confirms is what I told you, on, I think, on the last episode. Michelle's not even interested in running for president. Okay, I told you that a few episodes back. Doesn't even want to. She, You know, those comments came out in the New York Post that she was doing some interview. Well, I guess she was on a podcast, but then she said she's terrified for our country. And people said, oh, she's sowing the seeds for her presidential run later this year. Guys, no. I don't think she even wants to. But if you look at her qu quotes in context, it doesn't look like that at all. So the challenge is there. If you have a plausible scenario in your head in which Michelle replaces Biden on the ticket this fall. I'm all ears. I'll hear it. I could be wrong. I just have not heard anyone explain it to me in a way that makes sense. Okay. You gotta, you gotta give up. You gotta give me a plausible scenario for this conspiracy theory to work. 
should be easy. All I'm asking for is something, it's, it has to be realistic, but it can be in your own imagination. It has to be rooted in reality in some way. Nobody can even imagine one whenever I ask. So I just don't think this, this theory has any legs. <laughs> All right, let's close down. There's a verse that's been burning on my heart ever since the start of the year, ever since the start of 2024. It comes from Habakkuk 3. It says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Guys, I don't know what this year is going to bring. I've said it from the start, it's, and it's, I think it's been true from the start. It's going to be a chaotic year. We've already had a constitutional crisis. We've already had the federal government butt heads with Texas over this border issue. Both sides have dug in their hills and said, we're not budging. And Texas has decided where it's going to draw its line in the sand. And the only reason the Biden administration is not becoming more forceful is because it's an election year. But if he gets in again, what does that mean for next year? So guys, I don't know what the next few years are going to bring. I foresee a lot of chaos. We've already had one constitutional crisis this year where we don't know the answer for what happens whenever a state refuses to bow to what the federal government says about protecting its own border. We can't be sure what comes next after that. And I don't think it's going to be the last constitutional crisis of the year. We could be in for some hard times. I would plan for it. I'd be ready for it. But... Though the fig tree does not bud, rejoice in the Lord and put your trust in God, your Savior. Put not your trust in princes. Your red states are going to fail you. Your Republican lawmakers are going to let you down. And the only thing that you can put your trust in is God. And we need him more than ever. Thanks for listening to a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast. This has been Luke Taylor. Okay.